Thank you, Matthew, for reading us a long reading, a very dramatic story. I'm sure you will agree. I hope many of you uh, are familiar with that story. And, uh, well, we're going to look at it. 29 verses. You'll be glad to know we're not going to look at all of them. In fact, we're only going to really look at a few of those verses in the midst of it all. But thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Gilly, for your welcome. It's always a pleasure to come to, to see you. It makes me feel a wee bit younger than I really am, because I'm nearly as old as Gilly, you know. Nearly. Not quite. But it's good to be here. Uh, and uh, let, let's just pray before we um, look at this together, this passage together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is perfect and your word is powerful. We ask that in these moments together, you will speak to all of us. Whether we be sure that we are Christians or perhaps not sure of anything or perhaps very sure we're not whatever our situation might be would you brood over this meeting would you speak into our hearts would you open up our eyes our ears our hearts may you do a work of grace we ask it in jesus name amen the gospel is for everyone. That's the, the title that I was given. And I thought it was a great title um, because it's true. Because it's true. And even that very title says a lot. The gospel. The gospel is God's mega good news. The greatest news in the whole of the universe. The greatest news in the whole of time is the gospel. And it's for Everyone, everyone here tonight, it is for everyone, you included. So why is it so true? Because actually everyone needs the gospel. You need it. As I was just praying there, you might be tonight very sure you're Christian, you're confident in your faith. Well, it's for you. Or maybe you're unsure. Maybe you don't know what's going on in your heart. The gospel is for you. Maybe you are an unbeliever and you think it's all nonsense and you're just here for the crack. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for everyone. For you all. It's for me as well. And we see this, that the gospel is for everyone. We see it spelt out in this passage in the conversion of three people in the city of Philippi. We just read about it uh, those few moments ago very different people. We've got the businesswoman called Lydia. And then we had this demon-possessed girl who is unnamed. Very sad case. And then the third one, of course, was the jailer. A hard man. Tough man. Cruel man. A man who's about to commit suicide. All three were converted. Three very different people but again, that God is showing us that the gospel is for everyone, every type of person, you, me, us all. It's not just for religious people like Lydia. It's not just for possessed people like that demon-possessed girl. And it's not just for suicidal people. You getting the picture? It's for everyone, every single person. But before we get to Acts 16, 
I think we need to be very clear about our particular needs. My needs and your needs. And for that, I just want to go briefly to this passage you'll see there um, behind me. Um, it's from Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, these verses tell us the not-so-nice, not-so-good, not-so-positive aspects of our lives without Christ and without the gospel. See, the gospel is for everyone, but until we have the gospel, this is what we're like. This is a description of me and you without Jesus. That's not a pretty picture, is it? In fact, it's pretty grim. It's in-your-face truth and reality. It describes every single human being without Jesus. It describes you. It describes me without Jesus. I wonder, do you understand that? Notice, as for you. That word you there is plural, so it's everybody. Notice also in verse 3 there, all of us, plural, all of us. So that's the atheist or the archbishop. Both are included. The terrorist or your nice primary school teacher. The murderer or your mummy. Everyone. What are we like without Jesus? Notice what Paul says. You're dead. You're dead. By nature, by birth, we're dead. Dead in what? Well, dead in transgressions and sins. That's what he says. The word transgressions are is acts of commissions, things that we do deliberately wrong. We know they're wrong. We cross over the line that God has set. We committed acts of treason. That's what transgressions means. The word sins are things that we should do that we'd simply decide not to do. We're, we're short of the mark. We, we, we leave things out. So we're dead in our transgressions and sins. Now, that's very important for us to realize that we're dead dead because we have no ability to respond to the things of God. We have no interest in the things of God. So tonight, if you're here and actually you don't really have a, a, a lot of interest in the things of God, do you know why that is the case? Because you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses, transgressions, and sins. You're dead. It's not that you just don't want to respond to God. You can't respond to God because you're dead. And let that sink into your hearts and minds. Without Christ, you are dead. Now, physically alive, of course you are. You wouldn't have got here tonight. You wouldn't be breathing in your seat right now. You're physically alive, good. But spiritually, you're dead. You're like a, like a zombie, like a, the walking dead, if you know what that means. You are physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. 
And if you're dead, what do you need? If you're dead, you need life, don't you? You need to be made alive. That's why Jesus talked about being born again. New life. Life from above. So you see the importance of the gospel? You see the importance of salvation? There's something, nothing, nothing more important than the gospel. We're dead, but we're also, notice we are enslaved, verses 2 and 3. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. We're, we're helpless, captive, so we're dead, but we're also kind of uh, enslaved, imprisoned. And again, Paul gives us a kind of triple lock. He says we're enslaved in three ways. First of all, lock number one, we're enslaved by the world. You see that there? I put that in blue. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Tonight, these days, in this generation, there's a spirit around that basically, an attitude around that basically ignores the idea of eternal life. There, there's a spirit around today in our world that ignores the standards of God. And people are deluded. They think they're free. But they're deluded. They've been lied to. They're empty. Because they follow the ways of this world. There are many options out there in the world that are all wrong. We have the gospel, which is the one and only way to live. So lock number one is the world. Lock number two is the devil. You see that? And the ruler of this, the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The devil. Again, people laugh at the idea of a devil. But he's our wicked, hostile, detestable enemy. The devil dominates the unsaved. The devil hates us. The devil would love to destroy you. The shocking fact is that he's vicious and vile and he controls so many people. Not just millions. Perhaps billions of people. So triple lock. One is the world. Two is the devil. And three is the flesh. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. There's something within us just wants to rebel against God. So we've got the world around us. We've got the, the devil, in a sense, above us. We've got the flesh within us. And we are driven by these sinful impulses, these worldly ambitions, these selfish desires, these evil plans. It's all part of our tragic, fallen condition. And like Jesus, therefore, 
we are in serious trouble. We're in serious trouble. In fact, the third thing we might say, dead and slave condemned, right at the end of verse 3 there, we, are, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, God is not like your granny. Do your granny says you're naughty, but you're still nice, and I'll, uh, I'll let you off with everything. You know, God's not like the, the, the soft teacher who will try to teach you and, and you don't listen and at the end he'll, he'll give you, if he's nice, he'll give you the questions for the exam so that you can pass. He's not like that. God always does what is right. And as Gilly started this evening, he talked about the love of God. The love of God is shown in many ways, but one of the ways the love of God is shown is in his anger against that one thing that destroys the people he loves. His anger against sin. He loves you so much that he will deal with sin. So who does he love? He loves us. What destroys and ruins us? Sin. What, how does God treat sin with his wrath? And if we are without Christ, then we become, in a sense, we remain sin. And he has to deal with us in his perfect anger. You know, God's perfect love and his perfect anger go hand in hand. I know it's not easy to take. I know a lot of that's hard to understand. Emotionally, it's difficult. Even preaching it is hard, let me tell you. But it's all true. Therefore, can you see the importance of the gospel? What God does for us, what God does in us. It's called salvation. It's called rescue. And in the next section, by the way, Paul tells us about how we might be saved. Love, mercy, grace, kindness. He makes us alive. He raises us up with Christ. He seats us with, um, with him in Christ Jesus. Salvation. But we haven't time to deal with that because we must get back to Acts 16. Because in Acts 16, this is what we see God doing. We see God saving three people. Just as he has to save you, he saves these three people. We're given three examples. There were probably many more converted in that church. But three examples of us, three examples for us, three examples of before they became Christians, of ignorance, of rebellion, of hard hearts, but three examples of coming to faith. Believing, becoming Christians. And some would say, of course, that they were very unlikely people because they had already chosen their religion. Each of them had chosen their religion. In fact, everyone has chosen their religion. Tonight, you might say, I, I don't have religion. Yes, you do. Everybody has religion in one shape or form. You have chosen your religion at this point. Now, you can change it. Of course you can. But even if you think you're an atheist tonight, 
Well, that's our form of religion, isn't it? It's, uh, it's putting your faith and hope in atheism, in the fact that God doesn't exist, that the gospel isn't true. You're putting your faith in that. So Lydia had chosen the Jewish religion. The girl had chosen demon worship. We'll be thinking about that in a few moments' time. The jailer had chosen the Roman gods that were prevalent in those days. Each of them had chosen their religion, and each of them had to reject that and instead be saved by the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's think of, of Lydia. Lydia. I mean, what hope would there be for this professional woman, this woman who had it all together? I mean, she was smart, and she was attractive, and she was successful. She was a leader. She was well-trained. She was very religious. Do you notice that she was out there, by the riverside on the Sabbath morning praying with a group of others. She was good. She was upright. What hope was there for her? And everything looked good. She looked really, really good. You would probably walk by and say, now there's a Christian. Look at her. But her, the problem was her heart was closed. Her heart was closed, closed to Jesus, open to religion, yes, but um, closed to Jesus, closed to forgiveness, closed to heaven, closed to salvation. And what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit opened up her heart. We read that in verse 14. One of those listening was a a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple from the, the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And she was the first Christian in the continent of Europe, the first believer in Europe. God opened her heart and convinced her about her sin, and enabled her to believe. There was no gimmickry there. There was no emotional appeals. Just the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And the result was conversion. Now think about this woman. She came to the prayer meeting unconverted. And she left the prayer meeting converted. She came to the prayer meeting lost, and she left the prayer meeting saved. She came to the prayer meeting without Christ, and she left the prayer meeting in Christ. Hobbiji. You've come to see ye, unsure, unsaved. How are you going to leave tonight? Is God opening up your heart? And so within you there is this desire, I want to be sure, I want to be saved. 
I want to know. I need my sins forgiven. That's the first convert, Lydia. The second convert was a slave girl. This is a sad, sad story. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Horribly abused. Without hope. And so we might say, you know, what, what future did this girl have? Demonized. A clairvoyance. And her pimps, spiritual pimps, sold her powers and got money out of people. And Satan's grip on her was obvious. She was an utter hopeless darkness. And we, we hear, we don't have any time to deal with it, but basically this girl followed, read verse 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. What's, what Satan was trying to do is use her to uh, derail the gospel by infiltrating it, by distorting the truth with lots of noise. And eventually, um, Paul had enough. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Satan is no match to the power of God. You know, if God is going to save you, even tonight, he will. Satan can't even stop that. And she was set free from her darkness and restored to her right mind. See, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, even demon-possessed girls like that. Trying to create fear among you tonight, but I'm sure you're aware, or maybe you're not, you should be, that the interest in satanic worship is constantly increasing in even our country. The reason being, of course, when a country stops believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it begins to believe in absolutely anything and everything. And that's what we're seeing. Satanism is common more common than we might believe. Or it might just be as extreme as that. It might be something just called uh, freedom living. You know, you're free to live whatever way you like. I, I just want to please me. <laughs> I just want to have my own life. I want to experiment with whatever's out there. You know, sex, drugs, alternative lifestyles. Just, I want to be free from home, free from school. I want to get out there and I want to do it all. But that kind of attitude is empowered by Satan. And can I say again, it's extremely addictive. It's extremely dangerous. You know the sad reality, and I think I would I speak on behalf of all your leaders tonight. Some here in this group, possibly probably will choose that route in life that breaks your leader's hearts. You need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel because the gospel is for everyone, including demon-possessed girls. The third convert is the jailer. What hope was there for him? I mean, he was a hard man. 
he was very confused. They cut a very long story short. There was an earthquake in the middle of the night after Paul and Silas had been arrested. Um, it wrecks the prison. The jailer reckons all the prisoners escaped. And so because he was responsible for the prisoners, he was going to commit suicide. He thought that would be easier committing suicide by his own sword than have the authorities kill him. So he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And confused and trembling, the jailer asks them the most important question in verse 30 there. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, all night, Paul and Silas had been singing hymns of praise to God, despite the fact they just had their backs beaten. They were probably bleeding and bruised and very sore, and all they could do in response was praise the living God in song, just as we have done tonight. Perhaps the jailer had heard about Lydia and the slave girl because God was at work in the city. So he asks, what must I do to be saved? And the answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Gloriously converted. You see, the gospel is for everyone, even hard men, or those who think they're hard men, for confused people. It's for everyone. See, the church in Philippi was born in conversion. Every church is exactly the same, by the way. Every Christian comes to birth through conversion. And yes, there are different types. It can be quietly like Lydia. That was my experience, by the way. I was about your age, maybe a bit younger. I was just turned 13. Very quietly. There's no fuss. No real emotion. For some, it can be extremely, a wonderful experience of being set free, just like the slave girl. Or it can be very, very dramatic, like the jailer. We've met different people whose experiences have been like these. But all of them, every, every conversion is due to the operation of the Holy Spirit. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. He knew very little, but he knew he needed to be saved, and so he asks. So as we come, we're nearly more than two-thirds of the way through, okay? You're listening brilliantly tonight. Thank you. But here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever asked that question? What must I do to be saved? Have you ever heard the answer? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You see, God invites you into a saving belief and you need to have saving belief. But what is the saving belief? This is what I want to end with. Because Lydia had it. The slave girl looks as if she had it. The jailer certainly had it. Do you have it, this saving belief? Well, 
I want to explain just as we conclude what that looks like, okay? The conclusion may be a bit longer than most conclusions, but please just keep with me. Saving belief involves three things. Three things, okay? First, it involves your head. Starts in the head. It starts with knowledge. It starts with accepting the facts of Christianity. Information alone can't save you, but you can't be saved without that information. Now, let me use an illustration to, to, to help. I hope it helps. Imagine you are in a burning building and you don't know how to escape and you cry out. What would you cry out? You would probably cry, where is the fire escape? And somebody shouts, go down the corner or down the corridor even, turn right, go down the steps and escape through the, the fire doors. Now, Having that knowledge about where the fire door is won't save you. But without it, you can't be saved. You understand? You need to know how to get to the fire door, but you've got to go to the fire door to escape. But if, you, if you're told to go in the wrong direction... Or if you don't listen, then you're in trouble, aren't you? So uh, uh, knowledge is great. It starts in the head. It starts with knowledge. But it's not everything. We're going to get to what is everything in a moment or two. So, so you might say, well, what do I need to accept? Well, I think these things, you've got to at least understand these things, okay? Now, you can, you can understand a lot more but you've got to start with these things, that God made you and loves you, that sin has destroyed you, and Jesus longs to save you. You've got to understand, it's creation, fall, redemption, glorification, if you want the, the four big things. We haven't got the glorification, but you understand God made you and loves you. Sin is destroying you, and Jesus wants to save you. That's really all you need to understand. The more you understand, the better, but you need to understand that. So it begins in the head, but, you know, um, it has to go to the heart. It has to come 18 inches from the head to the heart. In other words, we become convinced. We want to say, I'm convinced that all these facts that God made me, sin has destroyed me, and that Jesus wants to save me, I am personally convinced that this is true for me. The biblical facts become your personal belief. Now, you're not expected to understand everything. You're going to have lots of questions, perhaps, but it's gone from the intellect, the knowledge, into the heart. You say, I believe this. It's not just vague knowledge. I believe this. But, you know, head knowledge and heart knowledge still isn't enough because there's a third part of saving belief. That is important. It's what we call the will. From the head to the heart to the will. Personal trust and reliance upon Jesus Christ. We surrender to Jesus. We receive his salvation. We come under his complete control as we realize he died for our sins and forgives us our sins. 
I maybe tonight you're you're sitting there saying, you know what, I'm I'm not sure. I I know the facts because I've been told them enough times. I, I know them in my head and I kind of believe them for myself in my heart. And I'm not sure whether I personally trust it or not yet. Is that maybe where you are? And maybe you want to be sure. I did a chill. We do a thing called Christianity Explored every year. We do it a couple of times every year, but I love it because it explains the gospel in a beautiful way. But in our final section, each time we do two studies in Mark chapter 5, where we look at the faith and belief of Jairus. Remember the synagogue ruler whose daughter had just died and the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, she had been just so sick. And the two things that we, we learn from those two stories is from Jairus. Jesus says to Jairus, take me at my word. Take me at my word. Because people were telling your daughter's dead. Forget about Jesus. And Jesus says, Jairus, trust me. Take me at my word. And then the woman with the issue of blood, what did she do? She just reached out her hand and touched Jesus as he went by. Take me at my word. Reach out and receive the gracious gift of Jesus. And Jairus did. And the woman did. In John's gospel, in John chapter 1, John talks about believing in this way and then receiving. Believe and then receive. That's what happened to Lydia. What happened to that poor young girl. That's what happened to the hard man, the jailer. And somewhere along the line, folks, that's what's going to have to happen to you. There is no other way to be saved. Don't try the religious route like Lydia. It doesn't work. Don't try the mad, dark, satanic way that the girl went down. Don't try to be a hard man like the jailer. Come to Christ. Believe and receive. Say in your heart right now, God, you made me, and I know you love me, and I know sin has destroyed me. But Jesus, you came to save me. Please, save me. That's what happened in Philippi. That's what has to happen in First Portadown CE. That's what has to happen in your life and in mine. Because, you see, the gospel is for everyone including you.
Lord, we thank you for your love to us and your grace to us in Jesus. We are amazed at how much you care and how much you love. And we pray that your Spirit might speak into our hearts that those of us tonight who are confused, who are unsure, that they might receive your call, that you might give them courage and wisdom to know what to do and to be changed for time and for eternity. We pray that there will be great rejoicing in heaven because tonight in this hall, some, many, or maybe just one, will be saved from their sins. We pray for your help. We pray for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.